0: Good to have you back at the piano, where you, where you belong there. <laughs> well, today is Palm Sunday, the day we remember when Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. And we heard Dan share the story just moments ago. Jesus rides in, not on a war horse, but on the colt of a donkey, because he is the Prince of Peace. The people lay down their cloaks. On the road before him, they wave palm branches, they cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they acknowledge him as a prophet, a prophet of God, and they hope that he will be even more than that, for these people who have been oppressed long under the thumb of the Roman Empire are now full of hope for really like the first time in a long time. They're full of hope that God will deliver them at last because yes, their prayers are about to be answered. Surely they think surely Jesus is about to be declared King of the Jews and he's going to kick out the Romans. And so Israel's honor and glory among the nations of the world will be restored at last. This is what they've been looking forward to for years, for centuries, hoping, pleading, praying, praying for this to come about. And God heard them. But was he going to give them the answer to their prayers that they'd been hoping for? Yes and no. Would Jesus be crowned king? Yes, but with a crown of thorns. Would he be exalted? Yes, Uh, but he'd be raised up on a cross. Would he drive out the enemy? Yes. But you know that Rome would still rule on earth. And in fact, in 40 years from, from this time, Rome would level Jerusalem. They would burn the temple to the ground. And the whole city they would sack and destroy. And that temple has never to this day been rebuilt. But instead, Jesus himself put it this way. He said, upon his coming to Jerusalem... Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The prince of this world. The prince of this world. Was he talking about Rome? Was he talking about Caesar? No. He was talking about the ultimate power behind all the earthly powers that are opposed to God. He was talking about Satan. And he was talking about conquering sin and death. Now, over the past month or so, we've been focusing on prayer here at Cascade, and focusing on prayer is always a good idea. Prayer is at the heart of the Christian life. We don't worship an idea. We don't simply believe in a bunch of propositions. We have a God who loves us and cares for us, a God who leads and guides us, a God who desires to be in relationship with us, and that means prayer. On a certain occasion, Jesus' disciples approached him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he did. He taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. But that's not all. That wasn't the end of the lesson. And in Luke chapter 18, it says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. And we're going to get to that story in more detail in a minute. But what this shows us is that the Lord's Prayer isn't all there is to say about prayer. Over the last month or so, Dan and also Phil have been showing us how Jesus prayed, how he is an example to us in our own lives of prayer. Do you remember remember back in the 90s when people would say, what would Jesus do? And they wore the little bracelets. And it was so well known, even in pop culture, that it was parodied. What would Jesus brew? What would Jesus drive? What would Jesus drink? Well, okay. When it comes to prayer, we should absolutely ask that question. We should pay attention to how Jesus prayed, what Jesus prayed, and when Jesus prayed. And today we're going to look at a couple of stories that show us a kind of continuum of prayer. On the one hand, we see Jesus praying intensely, all night long, in fact. Praying specifically for a focused period of time. Praying for a breakthrough, he might say. And on the other hand, we'll see that he urges us to keep on praying for the long haul. Praying day in and day out until we get an answer. Now, okay, yeah, we're doing that global 6K thing. You know that some runners are marathoners and some runners are sprinters, right? And usually, you don't do both. Either you're the sprinter blazing down the track for 100 meters, or you're a marathoner grinding out that 26.2 miles. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, I'll be on the couch. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Well, when it comes to prayer, we're called to get off the couch and into the race, and we're called to do both. We're called to pray for the long haul, the marathon. And we can also expect times when we'll need to pray intensely like a sprinter. And so let's take a look at one of those sprints in Jesus' life. And yes, it was like a sprint, but it was also all night long. Even before Lionel Richie, (laughs) Jesus was praying all night long. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night Praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he designated apostles Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, don't you think it would be terrible to be Judas, son of James? No, no, I'm I'm a different Judas. Okay, anyway. Now, this is only a short little passage. And it's natural to focus on that list of 12 names, the 12 men that Jesus chose to be set apart from the rest of the disciples. And so it can be easy to gloss over the context, but I got to think that this moment, this decision was a pretty big deal, a big step in his ministry. By this time, Jesus was already well-known. He was attracting huge crowds. He was the celebrity, the talk of the town. By this time, he'd already called certain people specifically to come and follow him. Peter and Andrew, James and John, all four of them fishermen who'd left their nets for him. And he'd also called Matthew, the tax collector. And there were many, many more, dozens, perhaps even hundreds of people who were following him by this time. But now... It was time for the next stage. It was time to call some of these men to an even more significant commitment. Twelve of them, as you know. Now, this wasn't just some arbitrary number. In the Bible, twelve has to do with completeness. And as you may recall, there were twelve tribes of Israel. So it's no coincidence that Jesus chose twelve men to be his apostles. Now, if you look ahead to the very end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation to the description of the new Jerusalem, it talks about how it will have 12 gates with the names of the tribes of Israel on them and 12 foundations with the names of the apostles. So this is a big deal. It's time time to choose these 12. And so Jesus prays all night and he settles on the 12 of his followers who will become the 12 They will form the core of this new community he's establishing. This isn't a fan club. This isn't just a group of friends to hang out with him and keep him company. It's the foundation of everything to come. So he prays all night long. And God heard him. And his prayers were answered. And who did he get? Not exactly an inspiring lot, They were a bunch of ordinary working class dudes. Now, working class isn't bad, but come on, these guys were average at best in every way. Jesus could have chosen some top-notch Bible scholars, but he chose these guys who haven't even gone to school. One of them, one of them was a tax collector. A tax collector. Phil told us about these guys recently. They're they're corrupt. They're colluding with the hated Roman Empire. They skim off the top to line their own pockets. And Jesus picked one of them after his all night of prayer. And as if their individual backgrounds weren't bad enough, at the Last Supper, at the end, what we're going to look forward to this week, the climax of Jesus' ministry, after he'd washed their feet after he'd given them the bread and cup and instituted the new covenant, after he'd announced again that he was about to be betrayed, after all that, do you know what happens? The 12 at that dinner get in an argument about which one of them is the greatest. I'm awesome. No, I'm awesome. Jesus is headed to the cross and they're jockeying for the best seat at the table. They really didn't get it, even after all that time with him. Jesus prayed all night long, and this is who he got. Peter, shooting his mouth off, rash and impulsive, and of course, famously denying his master when it came down to the wire, blatantly lying and telling people he'd never heard of Jesus. Thomas, what do we know him as? The doubter. Judas, Not that Judas, the other Judas, the traitor, the betrayer. These are the men that Jesus got after all night in prayer. Now, maybe you're thinking, hmm, this doesn't seem like much of an incentive to pray all night. And if we think of prayer as a technique to get God to give us what we want, then yeah, don't do it. Don't spend the night in prayer. But prayer isn't about getting God on our side. It's about getting us on God's side. Prayer shapes us. Who needs to be changed, God or us? This calls for wisdom. And sometimes wisdom is found in unexpected places. The noted philosopher Mick Jagger (laughs) once said, you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And another slightly less well-known philosopher or, or group of philosophers, the band The Fray, said, sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are the same. I love that line. Sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are the same. Jesus certainly knew that to be true. Remember his other all-night prayer vigil that, we, that is famous? He prayed, take this cup from me, meaning the cross, But he also prayed, not my will, but your will be done. God gave Jesus the right men for the job, the right men to become his chosen 12, even though they were far from perfect, even though one of them would betray him. And so here's what I think we can take away from this story and what it means to pray like Jesus. He didn't pray all night long because things were easy and everything was going great. He prayed all night because things were hard. And it was time to put it all on the line when he had a big decision before him. And so it is with us. We pray with that kind of intensity, maybe even praying all night sometimes, when we don't have any other choice. We pray all night because we have to, because we have nowhere else to turn. In Psalm 63, David says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So that's one end of the prayer spectrum, praying intensely, praying all night long. And on the other side is praying continually, persistently, Praying over the long haul. So let's look at the passage I briefly mentioned earlier, Luke chapter 18, at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming him, coming to him with the plea: grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, this parable is a lot like the one that Dan preached last week the one about the guy who bangs on his neighbor's door at midnight to see if he can get some bread for his guests. In both that parable and this one, the logic is similar. But this one might even be more straightforward. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate that. If even a corrupt, selfish judge will finally grant justice if he's pestered long enough, how much more will God, who is righteous and compassionate, listen to the prayers of his people? And so Jesus says, don't give up, keep praying. Keep making your requests to God, but there's more to this little story and it might not be as simple as it seems, at least not simple to actually do it. As you know, we live in an instant gratification culture. Amen. Yeah. We love the story of the overnight success. We love it when we get it right on the first try. We want what we want and we want it now, but that's, that's not how life really works, right? Right. That overnight success, it's, it's only the tip of the iceberg. More often than not, we don't see all the blood, sweat, and tears that went unnoticed that led to that so called overnight success. It's baseball season. <laughs> yes. Did you know? I bet you don't know this 136 Major League Baseball players have hit a home run in their first Major League at bat. Can you believe that? Home run. They stepped up to the plate for the first time, and they hit it out of here. A bunch of them hit that home run on the first pitch they ever saw. Four of them hit grand slams. I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, it's just nowhere but down. But guess what? You've never even heard of most of these players. Only two out of that 136 made it into the Hall of Fame. The rest, just, you know, average, ordinary players. Instant success does not guarantee long-term success. And sometimes, oftentimes, success comes only after a lot of effort and perseverance. And so it is with prayer. Prayer requires perseverance. This doesn't mean just endless repetition, praying the same things over and over ad nauseum. Jesus actually speaks against that kind of thing. No, it's more about putting in the time over the long haul. It means keeping at it, coming to God again and again in prayer with what's on our hearts. Now, in everyday life, I'm terrible at this, and I'm not talking about prayer. I mean dealing with other people. I don't like asking people twice for something. If someone says no to me, I I don't want to ask them again. I don't want to bug anyone. I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be that guy. But I also know that that means that sometimes I've missed out on things because I gave up too quickly. Jesus wants us to know that we cannot annoy God. We won't bug him. We can't make him tune us out. And so Jesus says, persist, keep asking, keep making your case. But you might ask, why is it like this? Why doesn't God just answer our prayers right away? Give us what we need when we first ask. I mean, Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, here's something to keep in mind. God knows what we need, but so often we don't. We ask for the wrong things. Or we ask for the right things, but at the wrong time. Or for the wrong reason. Sometimes our motives are all out of whack. Our prayers are selfish or short-sighted. Sometimes our prayers are like a bad pop song. I want it that way. (laughs) God, God takes time with us so that our prayers are refined, so that our prayers will come more and more in line with his will. The people of Israel wanted a king. They wanted deliverance. They cried out to God, and God heard them, and he answered them, but not in the way that they expected. Okay, but some things we ask for are good, right? I mean, they're just inherently good. If we are praying for someone we know and love to come to know Jesus, why wouldn't God answer that prayer? Do we really need to pray and pray for years and years? Do we need to have that prayer refined? It's a good thing, right? Well, I'm going to explain to you exactly how this works right after I explain how God's sovereignty and free will fit together. That's a joke. We are treading into the mystery of God here. In the book of Romans, Paul says that he would be willing to be cursed. He would be willing to go to hell for the sake of his unbelieving Jewish brothers and sisters if they would believe in Jesus. His heart broke for them. And then he goes on in that passage, Romans 9 through 11, which is very complicated. And he discusses God's mysterious and mind-blowing plan to bring salvation to the world, even through Israel's unbelief and Israel's unfaithfulness. And he wraps it up with this. He says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. There is no getting around the fact that there are mysteries at the heart of prayer. There are mysteries in how an infinite God relates to very finite people we can't fully quantify how and why prayer works but we know this we are called to be people of prayer we are called to cast ourselves upon god's care through prayer and this means a life of prayer of persisting in prayer of not giving up and even praying all night long if we have to and i know what that's like so let me let me close with this story It was about 10 years ago, and it was a hard season of life for me. We'd moved back to Seattle from Montana, where I'd been a pastor and had even started a new church. And we were living once again under the lovely gray skies of Seattle. I wasn't pastoring a church anymore, although I was still involved in worship ministry, and I was coaching young church planters. But I was burned out. I was fried I was frustrated, disappointed in so many things. I was disappointed in God. And I wanted to be done with ministry, done with all of it. Things came to a head, and I wrestled with God through the night, and I came to a decisive conclusion. I was going to quit everything. I was done with ministry, maybe not forever and ever, amen, but definitely for now, most definitely. And so in the morning, after not much sleep, since I'd been praying and agonizing through the night, I called up Don, our conference superintendent at the time. And he was the reason I'd come into the covenant denomination. I'd never even heard of the covenant until I was in seminary. He'd connected me to my first call to ministry in Montana. He'd been my coach when I was a church planter. And so I told him in brief how I was burned out and needed to be done with ministry. Well, he listened to me. He heard me he's very pastoral and gentle and caring and all those good pastory things But then he said, you know, Matt We have this church that recently lost their pastor and they need an interim pastor Would you be willing to look into that? I think I took the phone off my ear and stared at it And I said, I'm thinking what? Are you listening to me? I'm trying to tell you I am done but we kept talking, and I agreed to check out that church that needed a pastor. Well, that hadn't gone like I planned. Next, I called Kurt. He's our regional director of church planting, and I was working for him as one of their coaches. At least this was a job that I could quit. I told him how I was burned out, and I needed to be done, blah, blah, blah. And he listened, I think. But then he said, okay, Matt but there's this church-planting conference that's coming up, and I'd like you to help me lead it. And I'm thinking, what? Are you listening to me? I'm trying to tell you I'm done. I'd prayed all night. I'd come to this big decision. It did not seem to be working out at all the way I'd planned. And then I got a phone call out of the blue. This was all within the span of a couple hours. It was a woman named Linda, whom I'd never met, and she said she was involved in planning a retreat for missionaries in Africa, and would I go to South Africa and the kingdom of Lesotho to be the worship leader for this retreat? By this time, I'm starting to get the message that no matter how much I wanted to quit, no matter how much I wanted to be done, God was not done with me. And so I said, okay, give me me the weekend to think it over. And she said, fine. I was trying to be done. I'd prayed all night. I'd wrestled with God. I, I guess I just forgot that when you wrestle with God, God always wins. And now in the course of only a few hours, here was a potential interim pastoral position, a church planting conference, and a retreat in Africa. I think it was at that point that I looked to the heavens and said, okay, God, I I get the point. But here's where things get weirder. None of those things came to pass. I called up the church. I met with them that didn't have a pastor. I met with some of their leaders. They didn't want an interim pastor. They preferred to have their own leaders do the preaching and take care of the ministry while they looked for a permanent pastor. So nothing came of that. And then I heard from the church planting ministry. Due to lack of funding, the conference was off, and furthermore, my job was over because they couldn't pay us anymore. Like that, it was just gone. And then, when I talked to Linda at the end of the weekend, ready to say that, after all, I think I would go on this retreat, she said, oh, no, we found someone else. Now, this wasn't a total shock. I told her to keep looking, looking, but still, it was over. So God used all of these crazy circumstances to gently but firmly redirect me. I'd prayed all night long and come to my own conclusions, but in the morning, God spoke through Don and Kurt and Linda to tell me not so fast. Now, there is a fun postscript. Around six to nine months later, after the retreat in Africa that I didn't go on, Linda called again. They were planning another retreat for missionaries, this time in an Italian village in the Alps. And I said yes before she could finish asking me. And it was that experience of being on that retreat where we met french missionaries that led our family to spend a year in france where we got connected to a church where i was later an interim pastor in paris so god moves in mysterious ways we don't know what we ought to ask for or pray for or what is best of us best for us jesus prayed all night long when everything was on the line and we also know that he prayed day in and day out. That was his habit. He persevered in prayer like no one before or since. And in both of these ways, he's a model for us. Maybe you can relate to my feeling of wanting to just give up. Maybe life has disappointed you. Maybe people you love or people you've depended on have disappointed you. Maybe, maybe you yourself have disappointed you. Maybe even God has disappointed you. Maybe you feel like giving up. I prayed all night long. I was ready to throw in the towel. And God heard me. He heard my prayers, my complaints, my disappointments, frustration, all of it. And he most definitely said, Through Dawn and Curt and Linda, don't give up. Don't give up. The disciples said, Teach us to pray. And he did. Jesus did. He taught, he not only taught them how to pray, he demonstrated what a life of prayer looks like. And it means praying all night long if you have to, it means praying day in and day out, not giving up. And you know what? It's worth it. Let's pray. God, you know us so well. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know what we need better than we do. You can sort through all our conflicting desires and wants and needs, our thoughts and emotions. You search our hearts. Holy Spirit, may we be sensitive to you. May we hear you. May we hear your voice. May we follow you. May we say yes to what you are calling us to. Yes to yourself. Lead us and use us. Guide us and love us, and we know you do. And Lord, we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.